0: Somebody said that, oh, I got to pay you for that. Uh, You did an amazing job. And I'm like, yeah, nah, you know, I did it just because I wanted to be helpful. But, uh, you know, I I finally took his money and then that that was when I said, listen, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing something. When somebody sees that you provide value, you should be able to own that and say, darn it, yes, I do.
1: Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we help professionals navigate the emotional and promotional sides of the job search in order to stress less and earn more in their careers. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome David Alto to the podcast. David is the owner and founder of Alto Advance, an individual coaching and business consultancy specializing in empowering and promoting the talents and experiences of those looking to accomplish their career goals and excel in their profession. In our conversation today, we talk about imposter syndrome in the interview. What is going on in the mind of your interviewer and what type of a tone you should strike in order to build confidence and trust when answering the question, tell me about yourself. If you like this show, please subscribe to us and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word and get more job seekers to build their careers. And be sure to connect with David on LinkedIn and see all the great content that he's creating around career development and resumes. That's all for the intro today. So without further ado, here is my convo with David Alto. Thanks for joining us today. You know, I think as we start talking about imposter syndrome here, the thing that sort of stands out to me, because we've done an episode before with one of my clients who had imposter syndrome and how he came over it, but it got over it. But what I think is so interesting is um, everyone experiences it, right? Including coaches, including people who are advising. And um, I've experienced it. I still experience it here and there. And I'm curious, you know, what have been your experiences with imposter syndrome over the years? And why is it something that you know, you enjoy talking about so much?
0: yeah uh thank you for allowing me to uh, you know share uh you know a little bit about uh how it came to enter my life because i i do i I believe that through sharing we kind of learn how to deal with it ourselves and hopefully somebody can gain some some insights into it so uh listen we have to go back uh my previous day job i left my um my day job in December of 2019 to do this full time. I was doing it kind of part-time on the side, uh, providing, you know, resume LinkedIn interview coaching. Uh, so. Listen, uh, I was in my field for a, quite a long time. And so I could consider myself a subject matter expert among, you know, many things, right. Of what I used to do, but. You know, when new things enter your life or new skills or you develop the or, or, uh, these new uh, uh again the, this new knowledge it's hard for us to kind of like own the fact that we can say that we're you know experts so it was back in uh 2019 uh i was on aggressively on linkedin providing advice and guidance and Somebody said that, oh, I got to pay you for that. Uh, You did an amazing job. And I'm like, yeah, nah, you know, I did it just because I wanted to be helpful. But, uh, you know, I I finally took his money and then that that was when I said, listen, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing something. When somebody sees that you provide value, you should be able to own that and say, darn it, Yes, I do own it and then, you know, allow it just to flow. I think in my previous my previous job, uh, I was always leading teams and it was always about the team. It was always about them. Right. They got the they got us the results, our organization and our and uh, in our region. They got us the results we wanted. So, again, it was always about team. And now all of a sudden it's about me. So that is when it was uh, pretty difficult, and then that was my first battle of imposter syndrome, and then I had a, another battle with imposter syndrome uh, just in uh,
1: October of tw- uh, 2020. Oh boy. I, I definitely want to get to that in a second. Um, really quick adjustment. I think your mic might be a little close to your mouth. I'm picking up all the all the uh, air coming out. All right, is that um, better? Yeah, that sounds great. Cool. Okay. Perfect adjustment. All right. Um, so in what you just said there, uh, there's a couple of things that I really want to hit on. The first one is that you were doing this just because you want to be helpful. And I think that that's a really interesting place to begin because, uh, similarly, I got into coaching in kind of a odd way where I was doing marketing and I was just like, well, I know how to brand people. I know how to sell things like, let's talk about it. And people would just open up to me about their their lives and their careers and we would talk through it and you know it'd be like three hours of just chatting you know and it's funny because it's like you almost sort of figure out after the fact that you're good at these things and I like how you said it's like it's not really the amount of time you've been doing it it's a value that you bring because truthfully at the end of the day like we don't always see the value that we're bringing to something because it comes so natural to us when you're in a role when you're in a job that you're actually doing well, that you're actually naturally good at, right? I think we're sort of taught in college and and growing up that like, if you're not in pain, if you're not struggling at work, then you're not working hard. And I mean, obviously, everyone is working long hours and things like that. But sometimes things just come more naturally, right? And And then we devalue the things that come more naturally to us. It's kind of strange, you know, it's like, oh, well, I could do that in my sleep. So why would I get paid for that? Right. Um, Is that sort of the experience you had where it's like, oh, that just that that's just something I do. I don't deserve to get paid for something I do. I should only get paid for things that like I can't do. And I'm like pushing myself. What are your thoughts around that?
0: Oh, uh, you know, 100 percent. No. I'll take this approach. Listen, so until I realized that it's not about today but you know the skills and everything that I've learned over the years, right? The decades in 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 my industry have led me to the knowledge that I, you know, possess today. And that's where again, just because it's a maybe a newer skill, is it really that new? Or really, have you been developing things and now just all the pieces, you know, are fitting together to develop it, you know, and to provide this? And when it comes down to it, uh, I I have this argument with people on LinkedIn often is uh, they don't like the word, you know, expert or subject matter expert um, because there's always somebody that knows something more than you, right? Well, yes, but if I can't call myself an expert in what I do, then what is there just one person per industry per job, right? That is an expert and you have to wait for them to move on to take that. No, there's all different levels of, you know, listen, somebody might come to me if they're struggling to do this, but if they're struggling to do something else, maybe they'll go to somebody else with a little bit more experience somewhere else. And that is okay. So you have to, you know, like you said, th- things come naturally. Well, that's that's great. That's fantastic. Roll with that. How can you improve on that, right? Um, but it then when it entered in twenty twenty, uh, because I uh, I got my first paid speaking gig, and maybe the first few minutes didn't go so well, but then after that it 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 went really well, and then I beat myself up about it. And I realized that it was because I hadn't been paid to do that before that I was saying, well like how dare I go up in front of people and you know talk about you know what I've talked about even though I've done it before just never paid to again so uh, and then wrote a book about it but
1: yeah definitely talk about well and it is that it's it's funny because it's a combination of things right it's doing that thing and giving ourselves credit for what we've done, right? It's getting paid for that thing, which is like a different level of anxiety. And then it's actually like going out and selling yourself as that thing, right? Because I think there's even sometimes that window of like, well, I'm doing it, but no one really knows I'm doing it. So it's like, it's like it's hidden. It's not really public yet. Um, and I like what you said about expertise, right? Because it's it is one of those things where of course, there's always someone with more information, probably the best experts know that they don't know anything, right? That's kind of a marker of expertise is that you're trying to fill in gaps all the time. Probably someone who calls themselves an expert who doesn't do any additional research is going to very soon not be an expert. And so um, those are all really important things. And I think when it comes to, when it comes to The focus, because you kind of mentioned that it's like, well, when I was helping teams, it was external, right? But then eventually it shifted the focus to me. And I think that's where people get really caught up with imposter syndrome is that in the job search, and you do resume rewrites and things like that, like, it's so hyper focused on the individual, and it loses touch with why we're doing this stuff in the first place, right? And a big piece of what I help coach people with is like, get the focus off of yourself, because that's probably the reason that you're having this like anticipatory anxiety, right? Because you're just sitting there and you're like, well, am I the best coder? no. So, why do they want to hire me? It's like, well, that's not, they're not looking for the best coder. They're looking for someone who can solve problems. And I'm curious, like, when it comes to that focus, right? Where, what do you see going wrong in like the messaging around careers when it comes to the focus on the individual, the focus on the company, the focus on the dynamic between the two? What, what are your thoughts on that?
0: I think, well, when it comes to interviewing, I think we, most people take the, wrong approach uh, i want you to share during that interview i want you to share genuine stories that resonate with you know some things that you've that you really enjoy doing why because you're going to get excited they're going to see and hear that regardless if it's on video or if it's in person and i want you to be comfortable enough in your own skin in your own competencies that you could care less look you're never going to be able to convince somebody to hire you and just like you said right you're not going to be necessarily the best coder the best of this or the best of that but the combination of everything you bring so I I, I really want you to share and know that you're not going to persuade them whatsoever. I think once you kind of know that and relax a little bit, uh, I, I, I tell you that the rest is fairly easy. And I always tell people to put you in a better state prior to interviewing. Watch, you know, if you like Seinfeld, if you like something funny, right, right before that interview, Watch a funny a video on YouTube that just gets you excited, that gets you smiling. Why? Because it's actually going to, during the interview process, it's going to put you in a different state. And that state, I, 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 I'm getting pretty uh, getting pretty deep here. but but, deep. but I it love do- it. But, but it does. It actually puts you in a spot where you're just joyful, you're happy. And when you do that, what you share comes off more naturally. And that's what they want. During an interview, I interviewed thousands of people in my career. And I just, I, I want to know, I know what I, I want to know about them. I want them uh, th- them to share the real, uh, the real you, the real them, right? Uh, I do, because sometimes I'll learn things I want to learn and some things I'll learn some stuff I don't want to learn and then move on. But that's, that's good. But you, you know, uh, you want to make that person comfortable and, and Let's face it, organizations, companies that interview people do not normally train their people to do interviews. And that's that's the, that's the hard part. You know, uh, maybe if they're in HR or maybe they've been doing it a long time, but the goal isn't to get somebody. The goal is to get somebody to really share, you know, their experiences and what they can do. Again, it's not that gotcha. Oh, I got them on that question. And believe it or not, that is still the mindset with some people that do interviews is I'm going to weed out these people. So I'm going to ask them these difficult questions. No, ask them questions that they, 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 that uh, allows them, you know, to share, um, to share those
1: stories. Well, and that's a big piece of, um, you know, overcoming imposter syndrome. I I do, you sort of said this earlier, but it's, it's kind of getting your, your yourself to a place where you care a little bit less. And that's such a counterintuitive thing for people who are looking for jobs, right? They're like, well, shouldn't I be excited about this role? Shouldn't I want this job? Shouldn't I? It's like, yeah, but it's almost like in the movie when you have that nerdy kid who's trying to talk to the girl and keeps tripping over himself, like showing, you know, it's like the more anxious you are, the more likely you are to screw it up, right? And the more pressure you put on yourself to be perfect, the less chances you are to be perfect. And and one of the things that I've noticed lately is like changing the sort of perspective on it, where every single job seeker that I talk to about interviews is trying to avoid things going wrong. And I'm like, no, try and flip that. Try and get better at reacting when things go wrong. Because There's always going to be something that goes wrong. And you, as a public speaker, it's like, yeah, there's always going to be something. You're going to forget something. You're going to go on a tangent or someone's going to ask a question. Like, there's always going to be something. And what we need to do is build that ability to bounce around or bounce back and things like that. And I really liked what you said here. It's more about making the person comfortable and having a good tone. Um, I've had so many people that I've talked to who have been interviewers who say like, you you might not know any of the answers to any of the questions, but if you answer them in a certain way, where you're like, I don't know that, but I do know this, but I don't know that, but I do know this, and I could learn that. And like, there's a tone to not knowing that is really positive. What have you sort of seen around tone setting in interviews? yeah you know
0: again it's really coming off as genuine if you don't if if you don't know something and you try to fake it during that interview it's going to come across that you have no idea what you're what you're discussing so that 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 is perfect you know uh i've never i've never had that experience but one that's close is and just moving on. and if you find if you find about six different stories that you can share during interviews, you're going to find that those stories probably can you could use for multiple answers. Maybe even just tweaking them a little bit. I had a uh, I had a client recently uh, give the same answer twice, but just slightly different, slightly different, and uh, they appreciated uh what what they were doing because they they told them that but they they liked it because they still got additional information even though it was the same story and that's what they told them they and this person did get the job uh they they wanted they did a little follow-up prior to giving them that offer they wanted to know a little bit more but they still again uh, you know appreciated so it's really having those stories when i say stories well i'm not talking about any thing that you're making up right it's genuine things that you feel good about because again when you're sharing something you know if you're sharing something about your personal life you know with somebody right you get excited when you same thing during the interview if you just share stories you know those metrics will come out those accomplishments those achievements uh will come out so again Uh, you're, you're, you're totally right. You're going to screw up. You're going to, you know, flub up or whatever, not provide them with the right answer. Roll with it. Uh, don't be so caught up. Like you said, on getting it perfect. Uh, Same thing on LinkedIn. I don't edit my videos on LinkedIn. Now I may put little captions or whatever, but once I realized it's not about if you sneeze, it's not Mm -hmm. about if you cough or some dog barks in the back, what it's about the content that you're delivering. Most people know you're gonna be a little bit nervous during an interview, and that's okay because that means you want to do well, and you want uh, you want to be there. It's just delivering that uh, message that sometimes can be difficult
1: for people. What are some of the most common like mess ups that people have during interviews um, that they're always trying to avoid but we could just get better at responding to I like for instance rambling is one that comes to mind a, a lot of people that I coach are like well I ramble a lot I'm like so do I just when you catch yourself say wow I get really excited about that topic let me go back to the question right and like recovering really well um, what are some of the other kind of derailments or, or kind of mess ups that, that you, you commonly see when you're working with people? Um, And what are some of the ways that they can just get better at responding to those mess ups rather than trying to avoid them? Sure. Uh,
0: Well, I do teach my clients um, to talk to themselves in a mirror and it is difficult, right? It's people think it's stupid and you know what? It is stupid and it is difficult, (laughs) But I want you to share your message. I want you to practice that little one minute, one and a half minute, two minute max, maybe answer in front of a mirror. Now, you don't have to be right in front of it. You can be a little bit a distance because you're going to see body language. You're going to be able to watch yourself and it makes you uncomfortable and that's good. And I want you to keep doing it until it makes you somewhat Somewhat comfortable, but uh, I, I tell you what, it, it's, it's a really good best practice. Somebody taught me that a long time ago before when I started doing um, interviews when I was looking for a job in early 2019. And uh, by doing that, again, I get to watch and I, I actually I, I almost like I I hear the, the exact words right coming from me because I, I can see them, I can sense them. And I, I tell you what, it, it, once somebody taught me that years ago, uh, it has really helped. And I in, always encourage my clients um, to do that regardless. Some say they do it, and I know they don't because uh, I can tell when, yeah. I, when I get them <laughs> on a call. But uh, you know what? Hey, I, I was used to doing role plays in my previous career. And yeah, those are they seem silly. They seem stupid. But why do you do role plays? You do role plays to get better when it doesn't matter, right? Why do football teams, why do basketball teams, why do they practice more than they play, Mm -hmm. right? You know, football teams will practice for four or five days before one game that lasts three hours, right? Why? It's to get better. It's to get those screw ups. So, uh, the advice that you get from coaches regarding, you know, practicing, uh, those are the things that are going to lead you to that success, but like I said, it, hands down, that uh, uh, practicing in the mirror uh, is uh, is perfect. If you want to, I guess you could record yourself, but the, in that mirror, it, it that's you. Uh, yeah. You, you got to be you got to be comfortable in your own skin, and I think doing that uh, is a good best practice.
1: Yeah, and recording yourself is a good one too. I I often encourage people to do that and listen back to it because sometimes we just like need to word vomit and get everything out like download a list of 100 interview questions get it all out and then go back and listen for the good stories like maybe we can't do it at the same time of course no one does it because listening to yourself is also quite painful for a lot of people as uh people who make content we know that (laughs) quite intimately um but it's uh that that's a good one and then you know if all else fails because like you said people don't always do, they don't take the medicine, right? Um, networking, I think a lot of people think networking is to get a job, quote unquote, when I'm like, no, it's to do research, it's to prep for interviews, like, and maybe get a referral for a job. But it it kind of checks so many different boxes. And that's such a wonderful thing. Um, I want to shift even more specific into the interview stuff really quick, because there is one question, and it's not even a question, but it's one one phrase that every single person who's feeling imposter syndrome gets asked and and gets completely overwhelmed by, and I'm sure you know what it is already, but the tell me about yourself phrase question, right? Um, Every coach has kind of their own style on how they coach people on this, but I'm just so curious, like with everything we've talked about up to this point, um, before we even get into how to answer that question, I want to focus in on the interviewer, the person asking it, because I find that so interesting how like, I always ask people, what do you think they're asking you? What do you think they want to hear? And the answers I get are all over the map. But um, you mentioned that the interviewer is likely not trained in how to interview, right? So why are they even asking this question? Where did they get this question? What is this? So I'm curious on the hiring side, what is going through the interviewer's head? Or what should we be sort of priming ourselves to think about when we get asked that question? What are we trying sure. to fulfill for them? Sure, to be honest, um,
0: when it comes to if I'm interviewing somebody and I, if if I were to ask that question, maybe I, I, I did decades ago, uh, I have literally no idea why we asked that question. Well, one, we were probably told forever ago we need to ask that question, right? And why ask a question when we're not going to get the answer that we want out of the client, right? So I, I'm serious, right? Yeah. So I say keep that answer brief because here, it, 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 listen, it is better to keep things brief than it is to, to ramble. I, I personally think why because if they need to know more, they'll ask. I know I will. You know, if I was interviewing somebody and they gave me just a little bit, I would maybe ask them to expand on this or expand on on that a little bit more. Uh, I I tell my clients when when if if you get that if you get that question and not necessarily all the time when you get that question, uh, tell them why you enjoy. Doing what you do. Now, if you're a project manager, I don't want you to get into the exact things of what you do. What brought you to that role? What brought you to that place that you're passionate about doing what you're doing and and leave it there. They don't want to know about your dogs. Mm. They don't want to know about your hobbies or anything like that unless they unless they ask or just comes up and just uh, you know doing some chit chatting. But briefly tell them why? you love doing what you're doing and maybe even why you're here today. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just ever so briefly. And, uh, uh, d- don't, don't try to do too much because if you do, you will ramble because you'll try to read their body language. You'll try to, you know, Oh, I got to come up with some other things, but why we ask that. I have no idea. It serves me no purpose. Give them a door. You will give them a direction. So when you started, you know, uh, this journey is being a project manager. What inspired you to be a project manager? What, what do you like about the job, or what, or, or what are some things maybe you, you don't you don't care to do in your role, right? Ask them questions like that. That they're you're gonna get maybe some substance. Why we ask the, some things that we ask, I think it's because it's on a piece of paper or somebody <laughs> in HR told us to.
1: Uh, I think that's 100% right, because they're not trained on interviewing. And they just download the same list that we all have access to on on Google of top interview questions. And that's always the first one on every list. So it's just like this perpetuating machine of people asking that question. And I always say to folks, I'm like, the person who's interviewing you is just as like, uncomfortable as you are, maybe not just as but definitely uncomfortable. And I always like to reframe that question as, I don't know where to start, can you kick things off? Like that's what they're saying. I don't know where to start, can you kick things off? And then the question becomes, how do you want to kick off this interview? What tone do you wanna set? And I wanna bring back that tone piece, like what tone should someone be trying to set when they answer that question? Sure, Uh, well, when they answer it,
0: what do I want that person to get, that's easy why I do what I do, why I enjoy doing it. And maybe even a little bit of, of why I'm here. Mm -hmm. I keep it, uh, you know, keep, keep it, keep it to that. Right. Because then if they ask that in the beginning, that person's going to know that person that's interviewing why you're here, what you're passionate about, maybe it even leads to some additional questions based on what you say. I don't want, I interviewed people. uh, I would have basic questions, but to be honest, I listened to what they were saying. I took notes as the person that was doing the interview. And I might automatically jot down, okay, I got to learn more about that. Or how does he or she implement this, right? So, you know, I'm more listening to what they bring and gearing my questions. Look, I never had to provide HR or my boss with how they answered questions. So to be honest, after I learned that a lot of basic interview questions are terrible. I really crafted my own or just let the conversation. So that was perfect. You know, what you, what you had just said, yes, setting the tone. So if they, if they, if they ask that, it, that initial question right in the beginning, then hopefully you can expand on, you know, a few of those things or they take again, some of the wording that you say or some of the answers and lead you down a different path one that you're comfortable with based on what you said
1: in the beginning. Yeah. I you're you're going exactly where I was hoping you would go. And so there's this brings me to back to what you had said earlier which is, you know, companies don't train their people to do interviews, right? And there's this really interesting dynamic that comes up when I'm coaching people where they um they have one of two experiences. One, they put the company on a pedestal that is way higher than the company deserves, right? They're like, if I don't get that job at Google, my life is over. And then the next call I get on is someone who works at Google saying, I need to get the hell out of here, right? And, uh, and that's always a fun dynamic as a coach to see. But they, you know, individuals, like when we have imposter syndrome, we put ourselves down and we put companies up. We put them way too high up. And we put interviewers up too. We're like, oh my gosh, this person is like some godlike creature that I have to impress or something like that. When in reality, that same person you're interviewing with is about to get on a call with you or I and talk about how much they hate their job. Right. And like, yes. that is so funny to me, but there's, um, there's this interesting thing that happens where uh, people go, they put it too high on a pedestal. And then at the same time, they get really offended that the person interviewing them hasn't like read their resume in depth, hasn't read their cover letter. It's like, I can't believe that they weren't prepared. I'm like, never expect your interviewer to be prepared. That's why you're having a conversation to fill in those gaps. So I'm, you know, as as we kind of talk about this, I want to go even deeper into like, companies don't train their people to do interviews and the people that you're talking to and the companies you're talking to are hot messes as well. Because um, I think that will help people who like are feeling like they're a hot mess. What, what are your experiences of like, what it looks like behind the scenes on the hiring side, on the interviewing side, so that maybe someone who is feeling that anxiety can feel a little bit more in harmony with, rather than like so far below. You know, you're you're
0: right. You're you are at the end of the day having a conversation with someone uh, where you're maybe sharing more than than they're sharing, and, and I think we've all been in conversations like that anyway, just in just in <laughs> life, right? So you're sharing. About you, and they're not like you said in the beginning of this uh, of our conversation. They're not looking for the perfect person. The the uh, the warm fuzzy feelings if they feel about you, then that that's going to win you a potential uh, you know a job offer. But yes, I've been I've been at organizations that uh, at the end of the day, yeah. After I get done with these ten interviews I got to do all day today, I'm like going home and beating my head up against the wall because I can't believe the stuff that I was spewing (laughs) out about our amazing company that puts people first. And, uh, we expect people, we, we expect people darn it to have a work life balance and we want you home at 5.00 PM every day. We want you to work remotely 50% of the time, uh, on Sundays. Uh, Uh, because the rest of the time, no, you're in the office or whatever. No. Uh, Uh, listen, yeah, uh, you're not going to find the perfect company. Uh, You're going to find the perfect company that's right for you now. I think you and I both know the shelf life of an employee, three, four years, maybe four years is a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, find the, you know, you're not going to find again, the the perfect culture, right? Um, It's okay to ask the person that's interviewing you a few questions, especially maybe if it's a interview where, you're talking to somebody that might be your peer. I, I think that we, I think we don't realize that if we're ta- if we're speaking to somebody during the interview process that might be our peer someday, they're going to get asked, "Would you work for that person? Would you work alongside them? Would you work for them? Would, they, would you, you know, uh, you know, work ab- you know, above them?" Right. So making them feel comfortable. Uh, making them feel good about you is just as important as the person in HR, that hiring manager. Uh, So I think that that person's uh, that person carries a lot of weight. And again, once you feel more comfortable about having a conversation and just sharing, uh, you know, that interview goes a long way, but yes, uh, that, that person is not, you know, raving about their company, 24 seven, you know, if they, if, if they're not looking for a job, they got one foot out the door, they're not happy with their, like, like you said. So again, have a conversation, ask questions, right? Uh, ask permission to take notes, even virtually, because then you can look down and do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Plus it, it, it says that you want to be there. I, 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 I'm about making first impressions. I truly believe when they're the first minute, hey, you know, jot down their names, right? So you don't forget them because you're mm-hmm. going to forget them, especially if there's more than a few, right? Yeah. Ask, per, ask permission. Will I be able to ask some questions at the end if I don't get things answered? And do uh, I have your permission to, you know, to take notes? Again, it sets the bar real quick that you want to be there. And it, it again, it is really about delivering your message and the message that, again, that you want to be there. Um, that's why, you know, not sitting back like this, sitting in on the edge of your seat, all those things um, really give off, you know, certain good or bad body
1: language. Um, yeah.
0: And see, now I'm rambling.
1: No, I love it. I love it. I'm a rambler is my thing. So <laughs> um, I like that you're saying here, right? Show that you want to be there and make them feel comfortable. These are really important phrases. And I think people... Are, are, might be listening. They're like, yeah, okay, yeah, uh-huh. but how? Like, I'm not comfortable. How do you make someone else feel comfortable when you yourself are not comfortable? <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Uh, uh, yeah. You need again. Uh, that's why
0: I'm going to go back to that story, those stories. If you have those stories that are that you remember them just like this, right? Because you know they're real. The, there's something about what you're about to share that makes you excited, right? Will make you more comfortable. I'm not going to say it's going to really put you at ease, but that's why when you have those stories that just flow, you will see more comfortable. And yes, you're going to be your own worst critic. You're going to think you're not comfortable, and then you get and then you get hired and you get feedback, and they're like, "No, we thought you were okay. There was a couple times we thought you were nervous, but that's because, again." We could see you're you're excited to uh, you know to be with our organization. So, uh, again, care less. Um, and and remember, you 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 can't convince them to hire you. All you can do is share share things about yourself, and I think you'll come across uh, you know more naturally.
1: Yeah, because I mean, in a way, at the end of the day, right? Everyone is trying to improve. Everyone is trying to build new skills and grow. So truthfully, if you want to break down imposter syndrome and what what people actually mean when they say I'm an imposter, right? <laughs> no one says I'm an imposter. They say I have imposter syndrome. Um, but it's like everyone's an imposter because everyone is trying to learn something new. Everyone is slightly less experienced than the thing they're trying. If you're only doing things that you're 100% good at, you're probably overqualified for that role and need a, a new challenge, right? You're going to be bored and want to quit soon. Um, so taking it back out of the interview space and just bringing it to the general job search, how else have you seen imposter syndrome affect people's ability to be efficient in finding a job? Um, whether it comes to networking, their resume, their online presence, what, what other areas does it affect? I think when it comes when
0: it comes to the resume, uh, if I haven't done, quote unquote, that role that I'm applying for, but I align perfectly, I've done this, I've done that, I've done every aspect, I just haven't held that position. Now, yes, uh, you need to make sure that you match up enough to those skills, but some people go, David, I can't apply for that. I've never done that role. Some people do take the opposite. You go, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to apply anyway, yeah. right? Uh, or, or or don't adjust the resume or whatever. But uh, if you have those, uh, if you have those skills, uh, but haven't done that role, that's where. Okay, okay. Yes, you can do it. Your resume, if they read it enough of it, but that's where networking has to happen. Because if four to five hundred people are applying for the same job you are, half of those people are gonna have experience in that role, and yes, unless you're you work there internally already, they're never gonna take a chance on you. But that's where networking I've seen uh, can play a part, where. Again, all you have all the pieces of doing that job, but haven't been in that role. But you're able to get, uh, you know, somebody in the same or similar role at the same company to look at your LinkedIn profile, look at your resume, and they go, Oh, you could easily do that. You have the same kind of maybe working history and education that I had before I came here. You know what? I think you would be a good fit. Let me send you a referral, or you know, uh, send me your resume. I'll set it ne- next to the hiring manager. Uh, so, again, that's where the networking uh, and, and people do not network on LinkedIn uh, properly. They go after HR, they go after recruiters, they go after hiring managers, and generally those people are not going to respond. Who responds? People doing the same job or very similar to what you want to apply for somewhere in that organization. I tell you, what, that's that's something that I teach my clients and that is. If you do anything on LinkedIn prior to applying for that job, seek out people that do the same thing. They could get a referral bonus that could be, you know, a couple grand even. Uh, but more importantly, you're getting the right people to see you. They see something in you. Maybe you worked in very similar industry before. Have and they kind of see. Uh, themselves in you and they say oh yeah by all means you could easily do that uh again that's where that networking piece uh comes in but again start you know that that resume does have to speak with all the pieces that you can do uh, maybe if you haven't uh,
1: held that role yeah and the networking piece is really important because um you'll get real answers to things um there's when you're, I, I've had a lot of people who, when they're practicing for the interview or with, after they have an interview, they come to me and they're like, Well, uh, the questions I asked at the end were, um, Do you enjoy your job? And I'm like, This this person is on company time right now, getting paid by the company to represent the company. There's no way they're going to tell you how they really feel about the company in this interview when they're trying to sell you on this job at the same time as interviewing you for this job. like." The real stuff comes when you're chatting with someone on a Saturday over coffee or drinks, and they just start venting about their boss. And you're like, oh, this is really good information (laughs) to know, right? And so I love that you're saying, like, reach out to people who are doing the job that you wish you were doing, because that's where you're going to get the real information. It's the difference between thinking you want to work in advertising because you watched Mad Men and talking to some account managers and seeing what it actually looks like, right? It's a lot of email for anyone who's curious. (laughs) Um, and so, one of the things that I'm so curious about, and because it sort of plays into this, is like lies. And this is something we haven't really talked about much on the podcast, but companies lie, right? And I'm using some inflammatory language here, but sure. the idea that, like, you look at a job description and it says three years experience for every job minimum, right? And then people get into this cycle of, well, I don't have three years experience in that one program. So I guess I can't ever get that job, but how do I get an entry-level job if an entry-level job needs three years experience? It's a catch-22, right? And so I'm (laughs) sometimes I go like to the extreme just to calm people, just to get people to shake in a little bit and calm them down a little bit, because it's like, it's so extreme the other way. Like how many times have we gotten a job and then two weeks in, they just change what we're doing. And they're like, nope, this is your job now. And like the next two years you're like, oh, this isn't at all what I expected, right? Yet job seekers who have imposter syndrome feel like they need to be overly open, overly sharing. They need to tell every insecurity that they have and they need to like be specific down to the day of how much experience they have with a certain program and things like that. So it's like seekers are being way too honest. like you know, oversharing. And companies are like, we're the best company on the planet and working for us is going to completely change your life. And, you know, there's never a single person who's ever quit our company because we're the best. Like, it's that strange dichotomy that I find so fascinating. Um, So where do you sort of land when it comes to like, how much of the job search materials, like the postings and the company branding and the way that they talk about themselves, like how much should we buy into and how much should we have our guard up around the sales messaging around certain jobs?
0: Sure. So I'll take this uh, this uh, this approach. Um, so I recently had a LinkedIn live with a recruiter and off camera, uh, this gentleman and I have a relationship a working relationship Uh, we used to work for the same organization and I and I asked him and I didn't catch this on camera and I wish I did next time but uh I asked him this very question so for the job of this on your job description right now how many years experience do you have to have and he's like oh I don't remember uh how many years look the person that's interviewing you especially if it's a hiring manager They don't know those numbers down at the bottom, five years of this, three years of that, eight years, 7.2 years of this. They don't know why. Listen, if you can do the job and you only have two years experience in this, but you have four years of this or whatever, but you've done that, apply apply. That is a guideline. Who makes that stuff up? Whoever creates those darn somebody in HR put those numbers on there and asked enough people, you have to have three or whatever. It's a guideline to potentially weed out those people that have no experience or maybe just very little or whatever. Uh, but look, I'm not going to hire somebody and or, you know, oh, I can't hire Sally because she only has, you know, two years and I need three years of this and two it just, it doesn't happen. So why they come up with those or whatever, I just want to know, have they done that? Have they done this? And then that's what the interview's for anyway. So um, yeah, I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't worry about that uh, whatsoever, as long as you have had um, experience in that. Because the opposite could be true. You know, I could have 20 years of experience in that. And there somebody thinks about, oh, Dave's kind of old. I don't want to hire him. So there's really no reason to share like how many years of this or how many years of that. Make sure your resume says, you know, shares your story that you can do those things. Same thing with your LinkedIn profile. And don't worry about so many, the number of years. Same thing with education. If you align on everything on that job, everything except for education, I want you to apply anyway, as long as, like I said, 100% you can, because that's not always a deal breaker for every person. Uh, sometimes it's on there just because, sometimes it's on there because that organization, that person really needs to have that. And yeah, I get it. But if they've done that job, I don't care about it. I've experienced A piece of paper, an expensive frame on a wall that, uh, uh, you know, for some, obviously some
1: positions it does matter. Yeah. Some companies uh, care, others don't. And I think that that's the key. Some companies care and others don't, but we won't know based on job descriptions because they're all just copy and pasted from one another. And it's like, at a certain point, you've just got to push through and be like, you know what, I'm just going to keep showing up. And I I almost, I always like to go to the extreme because I know people won't ever get there with me. They're not going to follow me to the extreme. Like I'll I'll go and purposely, years ago, I went and purposely bombed an interview just to see how bad it can get and then go like, well, that wasn't so bad. And like everything was just uphill from there. And like um, those situations I think are so funny because it really shows like how this process is not so straightforward. It's not so simple. It's not so like, oh, well, they wrote this. That's what they need. I guess I can't apply. Like I'll talk to people who say, oh, I was looking at jobs for two hours yesterday and I couldn't find anything to apply to because of the requirements. And I'm like, you should have just applied, like applied to like 10 of them. Like stop reading it, start looking at the title. If the title's close enough, send in the application. It takes 10 minutes, right? And I think that that's so interesting. But there's also that secondary piece, which I've seen some YouTubers talk about and I've not really dug into this much. So I'm curious to see where this even goes, but... um I have been asked the question before, um, how honest should I be on my job application? And I think that that's an interesting question. I always, as a coach, have to default to as honest as you can be, right? But I'm curious, like, what are maybe some of the gray areas in telling our story? Because there is that hyper honesty, or at least that oversharing of our insecurities, right? Like, Someone who says, well, I've never worked with that. So I need to say I've never worked with that versus someone who's like, well, I've never worked with that, but, or, and, you know, kind of, there's there's a huge spectrum here of gradation, but I'm curious, have you thought about that or been asked that? And what sort of thoughts do you have around it? Sure. Uh, well,
0: I mean, that's like putting the year you graduated, you know, you got your bachelor's, right? If it was 20 years ago, don't put that on there. Right. right. They, they'll, they'll ask. Right. So I don't know about gray areas, but uh, you know, at least if it's during the interview process, if you haven't worked with something, I've never worked with this particular CRM tool, but I've, ex- you know, worked with this and I'm sure it functionality wise, it's similar. It'll be easy for me to catch on, whatever. Um, but. I mean, if you've had experience with something um, just because you're not an expert, I think it's okay to put that in there. I mean, they'll really quiz you on it, whatever, you know, if it's something that you really have to know and you have no clue, then yes. But sometimes in that job description, they don't need you to be a hundred percent with this one little thing. Have you experienced them before? Yes. Can you, at the end of the day, yes. Like you said. Read that job description. Can you do the job, right? Can you meet the, the criteria of what it's asking you to do? Yes, apply. Again, uh, sometimes we don't know why there's certain words in there that HR put in there that somebody put in there forever ago, or they borrowed a template from some other company and then changed just some verbiage. I recently seen two job descriptions that, some, that a client had sent me, and it sure as heck looked a lot uh, really similar uh really similar these were two uh large companies that probably have their own departments creating these things and they still looked almost exactly the same uh
1: so actually that yeah and I'll jump in there because that plays into a different question I have which is like companies are making an assumption of what they need when they put that job out there but they don't necessarily know that that's exactly what they need right i feel like sometimes we look at it like a science project or a homework assignment from a school or something whereas like in reality they're putting out their best guess their best estimation of what they need and then once people start coming in that's where they learn what they really need right and the example i always give here is when i worked as a marketing consultant I would sit down with people and they'd be like, we need a new website. And I'm like, okay, do you though? Like what exact, like, why do you need, well, we need more clients, more customers. Okay. Well, how are you currently getting your customers through our email list? So not through your website at all. No, no, no. So maybe we just need to improve your emails. Like there's, there's this assumption companies have of what they think they need. And then we try and like cram ourselves into that, but then it ends up not even being what they need at the end of the day. And my favorite experiences are the ones where people go in for a certain job and leave with something else completely different or a contract or like the malleability of these roles, I think is fascinating. And I'm curious, you know, in your experience, what what sort of, I guess, what, what is like the level of like adjustment that, that you've seen in the, ways that roles can kind of pan out from the job description to the actual position.
0: Sure. Yeah, don't assume when you when you go into that um interview, uh what if you know, they're thinking uh, Dave's only going to be here in this position for a short period of time because what we're getting answers to, he could do this, this, or this. Or like you said, they know another position is becoming available. Maybe they merge the two together because Dave can take on this role, right? So you put your best foot forward. You might leave out with something else, and but job seekers do also do a bad job of of holding that you know like that that organization to that job description, right? You know, they didn't tell me I was going to do this. Well the description would be 30 pages long mm-hmm. if we put everything that you're going to do and let's face it people get dumb things all the time uh but uh don't don't go in there just fulfilling the needs of that role share if you don't get an opportunity share during that interview uh you know other things that you bring right because not everything is going to be on that resume not, you know, not everything that you've done. Uh, you uh, added value because you took on this one project. But, you know, on the resume, you can't go into, you know, a, a, a full, you know, half page on this one little project that you did. Right. So that's why you got to you, you need to share and find opportunities during that interview to share the extra things that you've did. Well, hey, it, when my regional director was uh, on vacation. Uh, for an extended period of time because, well, uh, leave of absence, I took over those roles and learned X, Y, and Z and got to interact with this. And then you talk about some whatever. So you have to look for opportunities to share more of the value that you provide. It, uh, it's okay in an interview to say, uh, you know, after you answered that question, uh, you know, they say, okay, this is the last question. Uh, I did not get an opportunity to uh, share one thing that I really wanted to share. Would it would it be okay if I took just two minutes to share something about uh, uh, something that, that I did with and my team's accomplished? Uh, yes, yeah. go ahead, Dave. <laughs> right? So if you don't get an opportunity to share those things, ask permission to share because, listen, again, that could be – You know, maybe it was a no before, but right when Dave said that, oh, boy, I didn't know he could do that. I didn't know he knew that. He took on that. That is amazing. And again, don't think that that job description, you know, couldn't, you know, be something else. But if it does, if it does, maybe during that interview process, you get, you know, two weeks after that interview, you get an offer but they talk about during the interview more than the scope that was on the job description, then it's okay to say, um, I'd be happy, happy to, you know, to, you know, to take that offer. I really appreciate it. But uh, because of what we discussed in that interview, it sounds like the scope of this job, uh, you know, kind of falls into this other position too. So I'd be comfortable taking on that. But, you know, for increased, uh, you know, compensation and, you know, a lot of companies know that they're not trying to get you. They're no. not trying to necessarily get you cheap, um, but you do have to call them on that sometimes. And we've been yeah. seeing, I've been seeing that a lot lately. And don't be afraid to, to you know, know your worth. And, and uh, if it's a little bit bigger than the scope of the, that, that, uh, that original uh, offer, you know, that job description, then it's OK to say. Again, I think that uh, that falls in the scope of like a senior level position, uh, which I'm fine to take on. Uh, but I think we both agree that that compensation package would not be aligned with what you expect, you know.
1: Completely. You know? Yeah. They don't want to underpay you so much that you quit, but they don't want to overpay you so much that it makes other people at the company unhappy. So it's an Except interesting thing. Right
0: Except for right now, for I mean, oh my god! I mean, just like if you're selling a home, I almost want to sell my. I'm not going to move for three or four years, but I almost want to sell my home now and live in an apartment just to take advantage. Well, guess what? Uh, Companies are pulling the trigger faster on uh, hiring. Uh, Well, it still takes them too long, but I. What I mean is, when they find great talent, they're going, okay, what do I got to pay? What do we got to pay, Dave? And you know what? Instead of offering Dave a hundred thousand. Let's let's offer him 108. Why? We know that's a little bit more than Max. We we need David to say yes. We've been trying to fill this position for months. We need him to say yes. He's the best fit. Let's not let him look anywhere else or get another offer. Let's just go ahead and give him that extra week of vacation and that extra uh, eight grand. So we are seeing that uh, right now.
1: I think ending on that uh, message of hope is wonderful. <laughs> um, David, where where can folks find out more about what you're working on and what do you got uh, going on lately? Sure.
0: So obviously the best place to go is on, um, on LinkedIn. Uh, either comment, message me. I can still accept a few more uh, connections before I max out at, uh, 30,000, uh, Damn. connections. Uh, uh, I don't know why they don't change that. Uh, I know you can have unlimited followers, but, uh, I don't know why they don't change that. Uh, uh, and what do I got going on right now? Uh, well, uh, because I think writing resumes is like branding, right. And it's, it's easy for me to write a resume on somebody else because I'm not them. I know what to share, what not to share. Uh, so I've been starting to develop uh, content, uh, social media content for people, and I find it the same. Same. It's easier for me to develop almost content for other people than it is content for myself mm-hmm. because uh, I can see their path. So you know. Anyway, that's what I've been starting to do for a few select uh, uh, clients. A little, little time-consuming, but it's fun to watch them uh, not understand how content really is like, just like advertising, right? Yeah. You need to be consistent with your message. Uh, and if you're a job seeker, I would like to add this. It's okay to post. It's okay to write an article on LinkedIn. Writing a little article might you know, allow somebody to see you as a subject matter expert about this or that. And if you're promoting the current company you're working for via posts regarding jobs or just something special, companies like seeing that nowadays because then they think if I hire David, he's going to do that for us too. You know, he's going to always promote the the organization of what we got going on. Um, but yeah, message me, comment on my, on my post, whatever. Uh, I love uh, networking with different people in different industries that do nothing remotely uh, what I do from all <laughs> over the world.
1: That's wonderful. And we'll definitely link that all in the description. So everyone go check it out. And David, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: I had a great time. Thank you for allowing me to share and ramble.
1: Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I really appreciate your support of what we're building here at Career Therapy as we continue to try and explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, Subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by, and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.